0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of patent ductus arteriosus, or PDA, found under the cardiovascular section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A seven-day-old infant is brought to the pediatrician's office for poor feeding. She was born to a first-time mother without any complications. The mom reports that her infant seems to tire easily when feeding to the point that she is worried about her food intake. On physical exam, the infant has lost more weight than expected. Cardiac exam reveals a grade 2 out of 6 continuous machine-like murmur in the left infraclavicular area with the widened pulse pressure. She is sent to receive an echocardiogram for further evaluation. Let's continue with an introduction to patent ductus arteriosus. Clinically, this is defined as a persistent opening between the aorta and pulmonary artery that fails to close in the immediate postpartum period. With regards to the pathogenesis, remember that the ductus arteriosus is normal in utero and typically closes hours after birth, and patency of the PDA is maintained by prostaglandin E2 synthesis and low oxygen tension. If it is unfixed, A large PDA can cause left-to-right shunting in the heart, which increases pulmonary blood flow and causes alterations in the pulmonary vasculature. The shifting of blood from the systemic circulation can cause cyanosis. Over time, with severe defects, this eventually results in pulmonary hypertension and Eisenmenger syndrome. Conditions that are associated include fetal alcohol syndrome, congenital rubella, neonatal respiratory distress syndrome due to the persistently low oxygen tension and ventricular septal defect. In terms of the demographics, females are affected more often than males with a two to one ratio. This is most commonly present in premature infants. Risk factors include maternal rubella infection, premature infants, and in utero alcohol exposure. Moving on to the presentation, Symptoms usually occur with larger defects and may include respiratory distress, poor feeding, poor weight gain, and easy fatigability. On physical exam, cardiac auscultation may demonstrate a continuous machine like or to and fro murmur. There may be a wide pulse pressure, bounding arterial pulses, cyanosis and clubbing of the lower extremities, and signs of respiratory distress such as tachypnea, grunting. Nasal flaring, and retractions during breathing. In terms of further imaging, radiography is indicated for all patients and should include views of the chest. Findings may include enlarged pulmonary arteries, increased pulmonary markings, and cardiomegaly. Echocardiography is indicated as a diagnostic test. Remember that this is the most specific test. Findings may include ductal flow and increased left atrium to aortic root flow. In terms of further studies, labs may demonstrate an elevated B-type natriuretic peptide, which is a biomarker for PDA. Electrocardiography is indicated to assess for arrhythmias. Findings may include left ventricular hypertrophy, which can occur over time. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about ventricular septal defect, with distinguishing factors being that this will present with a holosystolic murmur. And when making the diagnosis, remember that this is based on clinical presentation and echocardiogram. With regards to the management approach, remember that many lesions may close spontaneously, but premature infants often need medical or surgical treatment. Medical options include endomethacin. This is indicated as first-line therapy for all patients who do not need the PDA. Patients with certain congenital cardiac abnormalities the result in the separation of the systemic and pulmonary circulation may require a shunt between the two systems, such as the PDA, in order to sustain life. Endomethacin is also indicated for premature infants with PDA. Another option is prostaglandin E. This is indicated for patients who require the PDA to survive. An example of this would be for patients with transposition of the great vessels. Operative options include surgical closure. This is indicated in the setting of failure of the PDA to close after medical therapy or in term infants with large PDAs. This is contraindicated if there is severe pulmonary vascular disease, such as in the case of pulmonary hypertension. Complications related to patent ductus arteriosus include heart failure, Eisenmanger syndrome, and infective endocarditis. And lastly, with regards to prognosis. Remember that this typically progresses over time. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to patent ductus arteriosus, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A two-day-old boy delivered at 34 weeks gestation is found to have a murmur on routine exam he is lying supine and is not cyanotic. He has a pulse of 195 beats per minute and respirations of 59 breaths per minute. He is found to have a non-radiating, continuous, machine-like murmur at the left upper sternal border. S1 and S2 are normal. The peripheral pulses are bounding. Assuming this patient has no other cardiovascular defects, what is the most appropriate treatment? And the answer choices are, choice one, indomethacin, choice two, diazide diuretic, choice three, aspirin, choice four, penicillin, or choice five, reassurance. The best answer to this question is choice one, indomethacin. The patient most likely has patent ductus arteriosus Based on the description of the continuous machine-like murmur and a bounding pulse, in preterm infants, indomethacin can help to close the PDA. PDA is an abnormal vascular connection that causes blood to flow from the aorta to the pulmonary artery. This leads to decreased oxygen delivery to the periphery. PDAs account for about 10% of congenital heart diseases. Small PDAs are frequently asymptomatic. PDAs usually close within the first months of life. Aside from indomethacin, PDAs can be closed surgically through ligation or coil embolization. The publication by Zines et al. notes that the congenital heart defects are classified into acyanotic and cyanotic lesions. Most common acyanotic lesions include VSD, ASD, atrioventricular canal, pulmonary stenosis, PDA aortic stenosis, and coarctation of the aorta. Congestive heart failure is the primary concern in these infants. Cyanotic lesions include tetralogy of Fallot and transposition of the great arteries. These infants suffer from hypoxia. The publication by Mahoney et al. performed a landmark double-blind controlled study of endomethacin in premature infants with subclinical patent ductus arteriosus. In infants who weighed 1,000 grams or less, Major ductus shunts developed in 10 out of 12 given the placebo, while endomethacin therapy showed a statistically significant lower incidence in major shunts, reduced surgical ligations, decreased time of oxygen therapy, and fewer days until return of birth weight. Let's also discuss whether their choices are incorrect. Choice 2. There is no role of thiazide diuretics in this case. Although medical management of progressed heart failure can include digoxin, and diuretics. Choice three, there is no use of aspirin in treating PDA. Choice four, there are no signs of infection that would require penicillin. Or choice five, while the child is asymptomatic at this time, PDA is a cause of acyanotic heart disease which needs to be treated. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A four-day-old boy is monitored in the well baby nursery. He was born to a G1P1 mother at 36 weeks gestation. The child is doing well, and the mother is recovering from vaginal delivery. On physical exam, there is an arousable infant who is crying vigorously. A red reflex is noted bilaterally on ophthalmologic exam. The infant's fontanelle is soft, and his sucking reflex is present. A positive Babinski sign is noted on physical exam bilaterally a continuous murmur is auscultated on cardiac exam. Which of the following would most likely have prevented the abnormal finding in this infant? And the answer choices are, choice 1, beta-methasone, choice 2, delivery at 40 weeks gestation, choice 3, folic acid, choice 4, indomethacin, or choice 5, prostaglandins. The best answer to this question is, choice four, indomethacin. This patient is presenting with a continuous murmur suggestive of a patent ductus arteriosus. Indomethacin would aid in the closure of this PDA. The ductus arteriosus in the fetal circulation is a shunt between the pulmonary artery and the aorta. At birth, the ductus arteriosus typically closes secondary to increased oxygen levels and decrease prostaglandin levels in some infants there is a patent ductus arteriosus that can persist and presents as a continuous machine-like murmur on physical exam indomethacin can be administered to decrease prostaglandin levels and close the pda let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect choice 1 beta Beta-methasone is administered to infants born before 30 weeks of gestation to accelerate fetal lung maturity this infant was born at 36 weeks gestation and would not have benefited from beta Choice two, delivery at 40 weeks gestation would not necessarily alter this infant's presentation given that 36 weeks is an age at which most systems are fully developed and the infant is viable. Choice three, folic acid could prevent neurologic abnormalities such as spina bifida which would present with a lesion or opening in the lumbar spine region of the infant. Choice 5. Prostaglandins could be given to keep a PDA patent if other cardiac abnormalities are present, which may require the presence of a PDA for the infant to remain viable until surgery can be performed. Finally, a bullet summary. Endomethacin can decrease prostaglandin levels and close a patent ductus arteriosus. That's all for this review about patent ductus arteriosus, or PDA. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, We'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.